In a couple of weeks, we'll be starting a new sermon series as we are soon to be finishing up Galatians, taking a look at the marks of a healthy church and what the Bible describes as healthiness. It's not always what we think it is. I've learned over time to ask a simple question, what does the Bible say? Um, It's very simple. But it it seems to, it's right, Um, especially as a Christian. So that's what we'll be doing uh, in the beginning of February. But open your Bibles with you as we continue on in Galatians. We're finishing up Galatians 5 today. And let us pray. Father God, we're just coming together to continue to worship you. Lord, I pray that you are our everything. That we would continue to adore and to worship you as we open up your word. To see what you have to say. Lord, I pray that we would take what your words are and that we would listen to them, to them diligently. That we would apply them to our lives as we leave this place. As we seek to be a people who are growing in Christ-likeness. That we may be a people who are disciples making disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, by your spirit, help me to preach this sermon with the necessary power and the appropriate affection. And Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. Next week, we'll have the pleasure of having one of our missionaries, Dave, David Smith, uh, come and preach for us as well. So we're excited for that, to see that. I've met with him a few times um, He's one of those guys, one of, I've said this before, and, and coming to Knollwood, coming to London, specifically London, I don't know how many times I've been told, hey, you look like, uh, my dad's name's Peter, Peter Clausen. And I go, okay, who are you? Uh, Dave was one of those guys. <laughs> he actually grew up with my, my, uh, my dad and my uncle. So we're excited to see him come and to, to share what God has placed on his heart through his word as we celebrate baptism. Um, but right now we're going to be looking at Galatians 5, and verses 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 26. <clears throat> the word of the God, Lord says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. 
In Burlington, there was, uh, we had a lot of trees. Um, you guys call yourselves Forest City, I know, but, um, but in Burlington, we had a lot of trees, and we lived in this uh, townhouse complex, and there were a ton of these ash trees, which are the dirtiest things ever. Uh, they, people who have nice cars, which I didn't and don't, uh, they would complain about them all the time because they would drop all these things on their car, and they would have to wash it and then wax it and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's why you just buy bad-looking cars. <laughs> but... There was, a, there, was a, there, was a, there was a tree across from us, right across from us. That was an ash tree that suddenly, not suddenly, but over time began to not bloom anymore. The tree, the leaves weren't coming out. The, it, it became dead, which kind of made me think often, like, what made this tree die? It was an old, old tree. Like, the stumps were like this big. What made this tree do this? But this tree next to it on my neighbor's front lawn, which, let's be honest, it's a townhouse, so it's like 10 feet away, um, was alive and vibrant. There's a stark contrast between these two trees to the point that the one tree eventually had to be cut down and made into mulch. See, Galatians 5 closes with a similar contrast Verses 19 to 21 describe the fruitless existence of the flesh. Or, in other words, the sinful nature. The verses that follow describe the fruitful and productive work of the Holy Spirit that is in the life of a Christian. The contrast is is as absolute as the difference between life and death. The Apostle Paul has already explained that the flesh and the spirit are mortal enemies locked in deadly combat. There is no referee. It's to the death. The passions of the sinful nature are at war with the desires of the regenerated nature that we have as Christians. If you are a Christian, you have a new identity. You are a new person. The Bible says you are new creation, not a new creation. That is who you are. Your identity is no longer found in what you were, but in whose you are. This warfare takes place within the heart, the mind, the soul, and the body of every Christian. In this conflict, the Christian is ordered to live by the Spirit rather than continuing to indulge in the things that they did before they confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. This passage is very important. In light of a Christian's desire to spiritually grow, how do we bear the fruit to the Spirit that is talked about here? I grew up in the church. This is one of these verses that were memorized. I could probably say this in KJV, NIV, and ESV. (laughs) And a mixed hybrid of all of them. (laughs) Which is generally what happens. One of my kids was quoting a verse the other day. I'm like, that's not what it says. I'm like, no, I was saying it from one of the translations. How can we grow as God's adopted children? Because we are adopted. We need to walk by the Spirit, observe the obvious, and then remember the good news of Jesus Christ. So those are the three things that we're going to be looking at. We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to observe, observe the obvious, and then we need to remember the good news. So we need to walk by the Spirit. In Galatians 5, in 16 to 18, he says this, But, but I say... 
Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So clearly the focus of this passage is on the need to live constantly by the power of the Spirit. The power that God himself gives you. Paul isn't talking to the super-Christian. Okay? He's talking to you and me. You know, I have friends who are like super-Christians, and they're like, they're like the smart kid in class. It drives me nuts. Like, come on, guys. Paul's not talking to the super-Christian. He's talking to you and me. He doesn't tell only the leaders of a charismatic types to live by the Spirit. Are you a parent? Then you need this passage. Are you single? Then you need this passage. Are you a teenager? Then you definitely need this passage. Every Christian needs to learn how to walk in the Spirit. And that is what Paul takes time to teach the Galatians and what we have the opportunity to learn today. What does it mean to grow, to walk in the Spirit? God does have an opinion on how you are to live. And he clearly lays it out for us here. The Christians will conquer the desires of the flesh. By the power of the Holy Spirit, Christians will conquer the power, the desires of the flesh. So in verse 16, we see that the Holy Spirit brings freedom from sin. Notice the command and the promise that comes here. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit. There's the command. Do it. But then he gives you a promise at the end. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What an amazing thing. This really explains this big word called sanctification. One of those big doctrinal theological words, but a very important word. Sanctification has to do with holiness. It's a process of how a Christian becomes like Christ. Holy in thought, word, and deed. When people want to become more holy, what, it is, what is it that they usually try to do? What do I try to do? What do you usually try to do when you try to become more like Christ? I try to do it on my own. I try and make more rules. You know, I'm from the internet age. I actually am of that age where I remember what it's like not to have the internet. Uh, And then dial-up, which was awful. And then what we have now, especially when your mom picks up the phone when you're trying to download something. It's always bad. But for me, in one of these ages, you come up with, oh, I need to be more holy. I need to be better. I need to be good. So I need to set up all of these other boundaries. And boundaries are good. But when I'm relying upon all of these other boundaries to make me holy, that's what Paul is talking about here. We're called to walk in the Spirit. To to walk in Him. To obey all that God has taught us and called us to do and to be. And he will be the one that makes us more like Christ. So we always try to do this ourselves. 
And we become legalistic. But did you notice what happens here? God is the one who is sanctifying. Did you also notice how it is done? Not by law, but by the Spirit. This is why God is able to guarantee our sanctification in verse 16. It's because it's not me doing it. Thank God. It's Him. Encouraging me. Spurring me on through the means of grace. Through His Word. Through coming together. Through communion. Encouraging me to be more and making me into more like Christ. So we must walk by the Spirit to conquer the flesh. As we live under the control of God's Spirit, He gradually frees us from that bondage to sin. We gradually grow. I remember seeing on Instagram once this picture of sanctification. What I thought sanctification would be, this straight line, up, and then it was like a divider. And then what sanctification actually is. It was like this squiggly thing going all over the place. But it was going up. Becoming more like Christ. This isn't something that happens overnight. I don't profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and then, bang, suddenly I'm like the holiest guy in the world. Now, as much as I like to think I'm perfect, I'm not. As much as I like to think I'm always right, I'm really not. But it's the Holy Spirit that is working in me and in you as you walk with Him. You are commanded to walk with the Spirit. To to get into the Word of God. To study, to meditate upon it. You are commanded to come and fellowship with other believers. Believe it or not, this is not an optional thing if you call yourself a Christian. Hebrews is very clear on that one. So, I don't know about you, but I'm left with this pretty weighty question on me. I still sin. And you do too. Don't lie to me. With all this freedom talk, it's easy to look at our own lives and look at the text and ask, what in the world is wrong with me? Why isn't my Christian life full of spiritual victories? Aren't I free from sin? The text does say you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, but I still sin. I still really want that neighbor's brand new car or their internet package. (laughs) I still want kids like theirs. I still want... Explain that one to me, Pastor, you might say. There's a contradiction between my freedom and my failing. And I'm not going to explain it to you. I'm going to let Paul do it. There was a man named Martin Luther. We probably all have heard of Martin Luther. He's one of the men who kind of started the Reformation over 500 years ago. He tried to live a godly life. But there were times when he was tempted to sin. And sometimes not just tempted. See, temptation is not the sin. Jesus was tempted. It's when we follow through with it. There were times when he committed the sins he was tempted to do. This made him worry that he was not really a Christian. Have you ever been there? Perhaps you have some of the same doubts yourself. Do your sins ever cause you to question your salvation? Mine do. 
And Paul comes and he talks to me and to you about this. We must walk by the Spirit because the battle is intense. There is still a war. That brings us to verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing things you want to do. You hear the tension that he's creating in this passage? Do you hear his torments? Paul addresses this again in Romans 7. I, 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 get, I just keep doing what I don't want to do. The beautiful thing about walking with the Spirit is that if you are a Christian and you continue to walk in that life, the Spirit won't let you to continue doing that. It will torment you. It will grieve your soul. And you're going to do something about it. So there's a battle that comes out here. A friend of mine once described becoming a Christian like being a baby dropped in the middle of a war zone. He's an older guy. He became saved in his late 20s. God grabbed hold of his life and is doing wonderful things in him. He's a brother. But he described it like that. Anyway, that is a great picture. Imagine you're on the battlefield and you see a baby just lying there on the ground. That's what the Christian life is like and why it's important to be in the body of Christ in a local church so that people can come around you and feed you and encourage you and help you to grow and build you up so that one day you're strong enough to fight these same battles. Luther, in fact, Luther used this verse to preach to himself. Martin, you will never be completely without sin because you still have flesh. Therefore, you will always be aware of its conflict according to the statement of Paul. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So do not despair. Therefore, but fight back and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you recognize as a Christian that you are in a battle? I think we don't. I'm going to be honest. I, I know that sometimes I don't. I live a life like we're, we're comfortable. We don't recognize this. We act like it. We're not in the word of God like, it's, like our life depends upon it. And why is this battle so intense? The verse describes the war within, this constant conflict raging inside of the human heart. One desire uh, grapples with uh, the other, like two giant sumo wrestlers fighting, pushing each other out of the ring. Flesh against spirit, sinful nature against regenerated nature. The result of this conflict is that we do not always do what we want to do. Often we do exactly the opposite. For the flesh wars against the spirit. And Paul expanded on this idea in his letter to Romans. I do not understand my own actions, he says. For I do not do what I want, but I do everything that I hate. I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
But after that, he goes on and he says, praise God for the Holy Spirit that works within him. Verse 17, we see, to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There's, this is a spiritual condition of the Christian. The battle is a raging on. If you're a Christian, you're a walking self-contradiction. Do you ever think about that? You're being pulled by the flesh and the spirit in two different directions. It's a full-on civil war within you. The Christian life will always be a struggle. But thanks be to God that it's a struggle. Because my concern as a pastor is when you're not struggling. Because if the Christian life is always marked by struggle, if I'm always fighting against the flesh, if that's not done until I'm glorified and being with Christ, when you're not fighting, you should be a little worried. And by a little, I mean a lot. It's a sign of the spirit that is within you. You shouldn't doubt your salvation. You are more aware of your sin when the Holy Spirit is active in fighting against your sinful desires. You ever think about that? I thought I conquered that. Praise God you actually know that. Verse 18, he continues on, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When you walk by the Spirit, you are resting in His ongoing work in you, not trying to accomplish godliness on your own strength. You are not under the law. Not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Don't live under that crushing weight. But remember that the fight isn't over. If you're 80 or 90 years old, you still are fighting. I just celebrated my grandfather's 87th birthday. I have to ask my wife. 87th birthday yesterday. He's still fighting. Probably more than he ever has been because of the struggles that come with getting old. So in this world, I ask myself, how am I led by the Spirit? It is not some abstract concept. You're not waiting to hear some magical voice in the clouds. God has specifically already told us in his word what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. John Piper, a pastor from the state, says this, Satan devotes 168 hours a week trying to deceive you. You ever think about that? Do you think you can maintain a renewed mind with 10-minute glance at the God's book every day? If Satan is taking 168 hours every week to combat, full-on combat against you, do you think 10 minutes a day suffices? And let's be honest, that's maybe every day. This is a battle. It's a war. Fight it with the truth of God's word. Sometimes I wonder if we have a warrior mentality to the Christian life. We spend so much time fighting with each other and forgetting that the battle is with our own flesh. So are you fighting the good fight? Keep fighting. There's a promise that you will not gratify the flesh. What are you fighting with? If you're a Christian, God has equipped you with himself to fight it. The creator of heaven and earth is walking with you to fight this battle with you. 
He calls us to walk in the Spirit, but he gives a promise that if we do this, we will not gratify the desires of flesh. As we walk by the Spirit, we're called to observe the obvious. And he says this in verses 19 to 23. See, the works of the flesh, there's four areas he's talking about here. He's talking about sex. This keeps coming up. Sex, religion, relationships, and indulgence. Four things. We can group them all in that list, but it's not an exhaustive list. Because you know how he says at the end, and things like this. Walk with me through them before you start asking why these things are important to God. So think of these four characters. The first, the first category is sex. Paul starts with this, and so does Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Sexual sin is a major problem. Sexual sin with another person, either physically or in, in, or in any other form, grieves the Holy Spirit. In fact, many others, not just the ones sinning. It displays a graphic self-centeredness. It dishonors those made in the image of God. It violates God's pure plan for marriage. It is totally opposite of the fruit of the Spirit, especially love. And I'm not saying sex is bad, okay? Don't ever... That's the dumbest thing. God created it and is good in the context of marriage. He continues on, religion. The next category, the Bible actually talks about good religion. There seems to be this thought that we need to, I have a relationship, not a religion. The Bible actually counters that and says there's good religion. And James, specifically. But being religious does not imply walking by the spirits. Who or what are people worshiping? Idolatry is a problem. It's a heart issue. People commit idolatry when they look to something other than God to give them what only God can give them. And that could be anything. These desires include salvation, pleasing other people, security, joy, provision, Money, mentioned throughout the Bible, is a big idolatry. We've got the next category, relationships. Hatred refers to enmity of any kind at its roots of conflict. Strife means to have a contentious temper, jealousy. And a jealous person wants what someone else has can lead to other sins like bitterness or even violence. They lack an attitude of gratitude to God for his provision and a lack of love for others. Outbursts of anger talks about a person who doesn't know how to control their temper. This isn't a personality trait, by the way. I used to think of it. Oh, I'm just a redhead. Because redheads are angry. It's not a personality trait or a cultural trait. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. Selfish ambition, the type of person who seeks to build their own kingdom. Dissension and factions. Did you ever think about that? If you're the type of person that likes to cause a little bit of ruckus in the church? I'm not talking about over-doctrinal issues. That's important. And the Bible talks about that. When others succeed, I get a little envious. You may ask, why does this matter so much? And I must say to you, it's because I love you. And Paul gives a warning in verse 21. 
You see that? And these things, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's weighty. That's huge. And I love you too much. And I want you to be in the kingdom of God. I want you to know what God has done for you. I want you to experience the freedom that I have. I want you to know the gospel. That God came down from his throne to to die for us because of our sin. Our sin, the only right punishment for our sin is hell. But thanks be to God who elected me, who called me to himself. Freed me from that so that I may have eternal life in him. I want you to know that freedom. I desperately want you to know that. And Paul gives us this warning. If you are living under the rule of flesh, then you should stand in fear because you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's like black and white. I've been praying for a while over this passage because when I decided to go through Galatians, this is the part that kind of went, oh no. I've got to preach that passage. It's not a difficult passage. It's a very easy to understand passage. But it has a very big warning. See, while those who come to faith in Christ by standing in grace alone are a new people, and while they will still struggle with sin, the flesh will not dominate them. They have a new desire and a new power to live. Our good works do not save us, but true salvation lead to fruitfulness in our life by the work of the Holy Spirit. So Paul goes on and he describes a life of one who is walking in the Spirit. As he continues on, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Love is the greatest. The word here is agape. Love isn't one virtue among a list of virtues, but the sum and substance of what it means to be a Christian. See, because the Bible calls me to love you. It means that I want the best for you all the time. And that means being truthful and honest. And what's that word that the kids say these days? Authentic. Joy, love isn't just one virtue among a list of virtues, but the sum and substance of what it means to be a Christian. So the Greek word here is agape. It's talking about a selfless, sacrificial Affection that enables us to serve one another in love. Does that remind you of anyone in particular? Love is what we return to God who first loves us through his suffering and death of his son, Jesus Christ. We can love this way because, as 1 John says, we've been loved this way first. It means we're joyful. I'm not talking about happiness. Joy is the ability to take good cheer from the gospel. It is not dependent upon circumstances. It looks at the cross and says God is good all the time. While I suffer. 
while life is just hard. The fruit of the Spirit is patient, and I've talked about this before. I don't get this one all the time. Because I'm a redhead, right? (laughs) Slowly fading redhead. (laughs) Talking about the quality of mind that disposes us to take everything in good parts and not be easily offended. Are you someone who gets offended easily? Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. A gentle heart. Someone who's faithful. Someone where you know that if someone were to ask you to do something, they don't have to ask you again because you're going to do it. Faithfulness that mirrors God's faithfulness to you because God made a promise to you, did he not? That once you're his, you're always his. So how can one live a life filled with such traits? Paul says, by the Spirit. It doesn't happen by the law. Because he says again, against such things there is no law. The law can never produce this kind of fruitfulness. Paul tells us to to walk by the Spirit. And he gives us the marks of the flesh and the Spirit. And tells us to observe the obvious. So do you got, so you have to ask yourself some questions. Is the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? Is the character of Christ being formed in you? Perhaps you can say, yes, like me. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I would love more progress. Join the crowd. The Spirit grows us gradually and painfully. But he produces fruit over time. As we yield to the Spirit and put to death the flesh. There's a great book called The Mortification of Sin. I love that word. Mortification. Such a strong book title. Are you actively mortifying the sin? Are you killing it? Mortification is like as strong as saying, are you murdering it? Are you recognizing the sin that's in your life and actively murdering it? Are you mortifying it? Praise be to God. Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Making it known in your life. It's also why we don't judge other people based upon where they are on a scale of more spiritualness. We look at where they were and where they're at. And as disciples, we walk with people from where they're at to where they need to go. And as we do all of this, as the battle rages on, we need to remember this one good thing. We need to remember the good news. Because life's hard. You belong to Christ Jesus. As a Christian, you are Christ's. We do not need the law to restrain our behavior because we have been crucified. Our flesh has been crucified with his passions and his desires. As one who's a Christian, our desires begin to change and begin to reflect more Christ's. That joke that you thought was funny five years ago, not so funny anymore. I remember when I was younger, we used to watch a show. I can't even remember what it's called anymore. And uh, I remember 
like this is maybe f- seven years later, I remember watching it again going, I used to laugh at this. This is awful. Now I sat in a room once with a guy who has struggled with pornography. In my heart, he was crying because he was at the gym working out and all of a sudden he felt temptation coming. You know what he did? He ran away. He left. He went home, talked with his wife about it. And I looked at him as I sat across the table. I went, dude, you ran away. Praise be to God. Three years ago, you wouldn't have. See where God has brought you? See what God has done in your life? Praise Him. Glorify Him. Look what He has done. The battle is not over. The war has been won, though, hasn't it? So the basic demand of Christian discipleship is that we take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Paul stretches this metaphor further by saying that we must not only take up our cross and walk with it, but actually see the execution takes place. The mortifying work of self-crucifixion is a continuous, lifelong process, which is why it's so important for you older folk to kind of pour into the younger folk. We need this. We need to be told God is good. We need to be encouraged that the battle, yes, is hard, but the war has been won. We need to be encouraged. The mortification, mortifying work of self-crucifixion is continuous, lifelong. For this side of heaven, we dwell in mortal bodies and are bound by inordinate desires. It's continually putting to death of the flesh with all its sinful passions and desires in this way. Crucifixion produces death, not suddenly, but gradually. True Christians do not succeed in completely destroying it. That is the flesh. While we're here below but they have fixed it to a cross and they are determined to keep it there until it expires. This verse tells us that there is no shortcut to spiritual victory in the life of the Christian. There's no second blessing, no rededication or spiritual quick fix can take a place of a consistent, obedient, vigilant renunciation of the world and the mortification of the flesh. We do this because we are His and we belong to Him. And we possess the Spirit, as verses 25 to 26 go on. Not only has our identity changed at conversion, but we also now have the power to live every day by the Spirit. You know what I hate is when people tell me to do something, but they don't enable me to do it. We all have bosses like that. (laughs) I don't, but uh, we've all had bosses like that who don't take the time to train. Here, build a table, but I'm not going to tell you how you build a table. Go figure it out yourself. (coughs) That's not what God does. He says, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify gratify the flesh. 
We need to remember that we belong to Jesus and that we possess the Holy Spirit. He enables us to fight. We must resolve to live daily by, by the Holy Spirit so that we do not gratify the desires of the flesh. So here's the main point. By the power of the Holy Spirit, believers will conquer the desires of the flesh, which constantly threaten us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, believers will conquer the desires of the flesh, which constantly threaten us. So I think I'm still left with, because this is what I don't like, is when people say, hey, do this, but they don't give you some practical input. Right? So here's the so what. How? Yeah, how? How do I continue to fight? It's pretty simple. And if you, Paul talks about it here. It may not be very obvious, but it's pretty simple. Three core habits. I stole this from a friend of mine. Three core habits that every follower of Jesus needs to do to master the core gospel habits that will keep you growing for a lifetime and walking in the Spirit. You never, ever move beyond these three. Ever. Read or listen to your Bible. There's a great app out there that allows you to listen to it. Did you ever think about that? It's amazing. I use it personally because I'm an audio guy. So I have the app open and I'm reading it and I'm also listening to it at the same time. You need to read or listen to the Bible. Number two, you need to pray. And number three, you need to pursue worship and fellowship within the church community. Three simple things. Read your Bible. Pray. Be part of a local family. There's a great book about the same friend that came up with these three core things that I stole. It says how to, the title is How to Grow. I bought three copies of it this week. Amazon primed it all the way to my house. There's my I should get paid for that. If you're interested in knowing a little bit more, it's a small little book. I think it's like maybe 200 pages. It's a small little book. I got three copies here right now with me. If you want one, I have it. And I would love to give it to you. Because I want you to grow. Paul wants you to grow. I don't want, heed the warning of verse 21. Dabbling in sin is not just dabbling they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to be with me in heaven. And I'm sure the person sitting beside you wants you to be in heaven too. Three core habits on how we, how we live by the Spirit. Because the by, the by the power of the Holy Spirit, believers will conquer the desires of the flesh, which constantly threaten us. So how do we live by the Spirit? Read your Bible or listen. Pray. Pursue worship and fellowship within a church community. Let us continue to worship God 
as a church community.